From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Charlie Herman. This week, one tumultuous Uber ride came to an end. Travis Kalanick, the CEO of Uber, resigned. A statement from Uber's board of directors said Kalanick's bold decision to step down was, quote, a sign of his devotion and love for the company. Oh, I thought he was forced to do it. It comes after months, really years, of negative stories about the company's corporate culture and its business practices. Are all those Uber rides costing you more than they should? Uber drivers say the company shortchanges them and charges you more than they need to. But Uber is also facing a lawsuit from Google's parent company, Alphabet, which accuses Uber of stealing some of Google's self-driving car technology. And today, we learned that he recommended, among other things, that Uber stop serving so much alcohol at company events and prohibit intimate relationships between employees and their bosses. So several investors finally had enough and they forced Kalanick to step down. Uber has dreams of changing transportation as we know it, but with the search on to find a new leader, what kind of future will Uber have? Well, joining me are Sheila Kohatkar with The New Yorker and Reeves Wittemann with New York Magazine. And Sheila, last week Kalanick announced that he was going to take an indefinite leave of absence. And then a week later, it's a permanent one. So what changed? Well, there are a few different ways you could look at this. And obviously, on one level, it it is a real kind of critique of Travis's personality and the way he was running the company. But it is also a real window into this model that's evolved in Silicon Valley where anything goes as long as it seems to be making money for the investors. So looking at what's happened, they put up with a lot from this company and this CEO founder for a long time. And they did not seem to really intervene or say much, at least not till the last few months. I mean, that implies they didn't really care. Well, I think, again, they're willing to look the other way when they're making money or they have an expectation that things are on a trajectory that's going to lead them where they want to go, which is that they're going to be shareholders in the sort of dominant monopolistic company in this space. So I think we can assume that they saw signs that this was going to hurt their investment. So, Reeves, basically what Sheila's saying is that if the company was making money, if the investors thought that they were going to be doing just fine, that the bro culture that had been there, that people had been complaining about, it just didn't matter. Yeah, people have known about the bro culture more or less since Uber started. I mean, you can go back four or five years and there were delete Uber campaigns, which sort of took hold earlier this this year to an even greater degree. But clearly, I think the, the just piling up of problems, presenting some obstacles towards a potential IPO was, I think, the bigger factor um, in, in him being outed. Sheila, does the ouster of Kalanick say anything more about tech companies in general and, and Silicon Valley? Well, we're in an environment where there are uh, there's sort of a small number of venture capital investors who have a tremendous amount of money, and they're all competing with each other for opportunities. And that leads to this sort of fight to get into these companies. And in fact, for most of its lifespan, people were fighting to get into Uber. And um, it sort of reflects this, this thing that's out of whack in the system, which is that there is too much money in the hands of a small number of people. They're chasing these opportunities. And because of that dynamic, it leads them to ignore things things that perhaps in another environment they would have paid more attention to. And I think that's part of the reason they just didn't really take action until now. Yeah. And with Uber, people were investing without even looking at basic numbers. There were in in some of the recent rounds, investors were just so desperate to get in. And I I think you're right that that it allowed people to ignore not just the the business part of it, but all of the the sort of cultural problems that have come to light. And, And I think that's a problem not just at Uber, but at a lot of companies like this. So we're talking about the investors and uh, we're talking about the the people who work at Uber, but what about the people who actually make Uber happen? That would be the drivers. Uh, they've had a lot of complaints about the company. 
Who is looking out for them? One thing that came up when I was talking to people who'd worked at Uber over and over from a variety of people who both like Travis or dislike Travis was that Uber was just a company that didn't care about people. It's a data-driven company. It was um, based on growth. And that went for the employees of the company where, where a lot of the complaints about the workplace culture has gone. And that's been from drivers as well. And so long as more and more riders were, were taking um, the service, then there was little reason for them to, to kind of change. Are we all complicit then in the culture of Uber? You know, a funny thing someone at Uber told me was that at this point, New York City has a taxi app. If you use that app, you can get a ride pretty much as fast as you can with Uber for about as the same cost. But, you know, they got a late start. So there's plenty of options. If you don't like Uber, there's plenty of ways to get around. So I think, you know, to a certain degree, you have to look at yourselves a little bit. Well, I think many of the things about uh, Travis's personality that helped make the company as successful as it's been. For example, this weird genetic tick he seems to have that allows him to just completely ignore or not notice obstacles or possibly laws and regulations (laughs) that would appear to fly in the face of what he's trying to do. I mean, that did help him on some level build this company. I mean, the the company has this enormous $70 billion valuation. It's remarkable. Um, It's become a brand name. Other companies pitch themselves as the Uber of, you know, nail polish or whatever it is. So that's all amazing, but they have problems on multiple fronts, the fact that their drivers will rant about them to you if you ask about Uber. Any driver will just scream and complain. So it's a little bit early to write off Uber, but if you were looking at the legacy of the company and with Kalanick leaving, Sheila, what would that be? And you will get extra credit points if you include it's the Uber of. I don't have a great answer to that last question, unfortunately, but they have really changed the way we think about how to get around, especially in cities. They made it much more convenient to go from point A to point B. However, there are some downsides to this, including the fact that they have really helped usher in this new era of insecurity when it comes to work and this whole gig economy, uh, which has been widely criticized. I mean, their drivers are all contractors. They're not employees. Yeah, it may be it's Uber for changing uh, worker protections. You know, they've they've kind of really made the gig economy happen. Um, and now the question is, are we okay with the way that a full-time worker at a company like this doesn't get the full-time benefits that other workers get? This is obviously a huge turning point for the company to lose Kalanick. So what is his legacy uh, when it comes to Uber? Travis Kalanick was clearly wildly ambitious, and he had this goal of dominating personal transportation, including being the master of a driverless car future. I think he he really has a big role in the fact that we're even talking about that as a thing that might happen imminently. Uh, This move by um, the investors in the company represents a sort of capitulation or pulling back from that sort of grandiose vision that he seemed to have. I think maybe they're trying to become more realistic about what the company can actually accomplish. Well, Sheila Kohatkar is a staff writer at The New Yorker, and Reeves Wittemann is a contributing editor at New York Magazine. Thank you both for joining. Thanks for having me. Thanks. And I'm Charlie Herman, and this is Money Talking from WNYC. 